Okay, so tell me this, as, as this is good pre-show content, why do you watch podcasts on YouTube? Is this for me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you, said, yeah. you said you do it. You're the one who well, said it. I, I was, I <laughs> You're in the hot sure seat. You... <laughs> so uh, I, I like, um, I'm, I'm a very uh, auditorily stimulated person. Um, I'm a natural um, verbal and auditory learner, so I have to have noise going on all the time. Uh, and as much as I like music, I, it gets repetitive really easily for me. So I like to have uh, voices going on behind you know, in the background. So I'll have podcasts or I'll have you know YouTube videos or I'll have you know hour long, three hour long live streams that I just listen to. Um, I may not pay attention to a word that gets said, but I just like to have the noise there because silence kind of kills me. Um, okay. So I that's kind of just how my I, I need to be stimulated. And more often than not, I absorb something from it while I'm listening to it. So I usually try to throw on something that's like not you know super in, you know intelligible to a point where i need to pay attention to it but you know i throw on something that i can pay attention to you know periodically and kind of learn from as i'm going along working on other stuff so that's kind of my main if i'm listening to podcasts it's usually like on a drive or something like that so if i'm if i'm having if i'm working on something in my room i have it playing in the background just so i can kind of hear it while i'm while i'm going for it and youtube has kind of a pretty good system for that okay fair enough so you you it's it's your podcast player then more or less uh if i'm listening to podcasts like on a drive i use spotify or occasionally overcast depending on what the podcast is um because i i got sold on overcast from from you actually uh and then i kind of i i, I switched back to spotify after a little while just because i like switching back and forth back and forth from music to, to podcasts but um if i'm at home i like having the youtube video open just because i if I'm listening to something, it, it helps me to be able to look back at it and like see it happening. Uh, if it's a podcast ah. and if it's just playing in the background, then I, I can I can work with it. But you know, if I'm like if I'm trying to work through a problem or something, it doesn't necessarily help to just listen to it. I need somewhere to kind of like distract my vision to look away from my screen for five seconds, and it helps to have a, a YouTube video that I can look at for that sort of thing. So my brain works very weirdly, but I'm I that that's how I've learned to to help myself work through problems easier. Okay. Do you do something like that whenever you're anytime that you're like, so if you're trying to break down a problem, you have audio playing at the same time? More often than not, yeah. Um, Interesting. I, I'll have, sometimes I'll just throw on work music if I actually need to write because I, I write quite a bit. Um, so I'll throw on, you know, some some lo-fi, some ambiance, some, you know, just something in the background. I have this, uh, like, Tony Stark's workshop playlist I freaking love. It just, like, it gets me going. Um, but <laughs> besides that, if, I, if I'm if i just doing kind of casual work, I'll throw on a, you know, a Minecraft video or a, um, you know, a live stream of a podcaster that I've been watching for a while or some, something along those lines uh, just to have there. And I have two whiteboards because I, I, like I like to walk while I'm thinking through stuff. So I'll, like, walk back and forth and write on my whiteboard and then walk back over here and, you know, write on my whiteboard again and then kind of you know I, as weird as it sounds my brain works when there's a lot of things going on um if it's like just me and my computer i am just like dead to the world i have to have like i almost have to be overstimulated to get to get things working um and so like i'll have that usually playing just so i i have an extra stimulus um so i may not i may not ever pay attention to what's going on in the video i have like multiple three hour long videos in my watch history and i could not tell you one thing that happened in the video <laughs> so it, yeah. uh, it, it just kind of helps to, to have that so maybe not like for every problem because there are times that it gets too distracting and then i'm kind of like okay i need to get some work done so i'll turn it off and just throw on some like some like no lyric music and just kind of work but for most of the time it, it helps me to kind of work uh, more efficiently and kind of like i can i can work i can think through problems easier if i have multiple things kind of uh, stimulating me at once interesting yeah, I did something similar at work 
because well, I work from home, so <laughs> I work. This is my office. Welcome to my office, actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, because I, I like to have noise in the background, not necessarily my water heater that goes up all the time. But uh, I like to have like that's some kind the of true videos. third member of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always in the background, knows when to come up and start speaking. Uh, but uh, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts, like whether it's CNBC or uh, like. The the serial podcast was one I, was, I loved a lot. Uh, the well, one Bad one. Blood yeah. was a good one too, with uh, the one about Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, and there was actually one uh, there's like uh, one about corruption in America and businesses. Uh, they went into about the uh, they talked about the Dupont, Dupont Company and how they spilled chemicals in uh, I think it was in uh, West Virginia Virginia for a little bit. So it was like. I have to have activity. If it's just silence, I just go crazy. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out of the house, do something different. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's either that or play some music, depending on my mood. If, it need, if I need to concentrate, then I've actually seen that Tony Stark one he talked about, the workshop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite one is the one where this guy is driving in the city. And it's mm. like uh, late at night. And it's, it's kind of similar to that kind of playlist where it's just more just uh, beats and you're just kind of focusing on, on work. And then if I'm like just animated, I might listen to some rock or some hip hop or something like that and just be like, yes, let me start dancing and moving around so I can wake myself up. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how music or just sounds can make you like simulate you and kind of get you going when you're working on a problem. That's interesting. I do the same thing, but I just listen to music um, and I can listen to pretty much anything. I don't like I just want to have sound. Um, the exception is I cannot listen to any kind of rap or hip hop and get any work done because the, the vocals are so upfront that, <laughs> that, that instead of paying attention to the email that I'm writing or whatever, I'm listening to those vocals instead of the words that I'm typing, but anything else I can make it go in the background, but the words just come at you so hard when you're, when they're, you're rapping. And that's why I also don't do podcasts because unless it is really, menial labor that i'm doing a podcast i'll just stop and listen and then i realized 20 minutes have gone by it's like oh i haven't typed a word to this email okay <laughs> podcasts are like meaningless work you know your dishes and taking a walk or mowing or whatever something that you don't that you, know, you can go on autopilot for <laughs> i wonder if there's something to be said about the the kinds of people who are more likely to do podcasts are probably also the kinds of people who like to be stimulated auditorily I I I absorb a lot via podcast. Like similar, like if you yeah. say what happened on the last episode of you know Accidental Tech Podcast, uh, I'll be like, I don't know. But then you you press play and they start talking. The first conversation, oh, this is the one where they talk about this, 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 and they had this. I'm, I can rattle off all kinds of stuff once I just get that cue. Yeah. And but you you just ask what happened. Like I don't I don't know. It's like you just listened to two and a half hours of this podcast and you don't know. I'm like. <laughs> But you play it and like, all right, yep, I heard this one. I know this and this and this is the one that happened there. It's so strange when you yeah. just get in that yeah. cue. It's, it's yeah. like there's subconscious learning involved here where you're just learning in the background and your brain is maybe focused like the stage front is focused on something else, but stage back and stage left and right are just focused on other things and are capturing those details for you to be able to kind of just put in your brain. It's interesting how your brain works too. Nice. I, I almost feel like... Uh, there's a lot of knowledge to get and to learn. And uh, I kind of feel like, okay, like, for example, this whole conversation today that we're going to have, it's a lot of research to kind of understand exactly what goes into agriculture. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. But you just don't think about that because you're not in that space all the time. 
well, except for Brendan, but like the rest <laughs> of us are not in that space all the time. So it's just kind of interesting how like our brain works. And maybe one of these days we can have like an episode where we just talk about the brain and just how we retain knowledge and how does how how do we how do we learn? You know, how do we kind of uh, capture things? Because like Patrick, you listen to the podcast. For me, it's like. I'll listen to financial news or technology news uh, with respect to like the tech industry, and it's just it's it's a lot of capturing, but it's it's a lot of good information, and then I could just be like, okay, I know exactly what's going on based on just hearing it audibly. But if you ask me exactly what happened, I'm like, ah, I think this, this, and that to that. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. A, we're we're almost learning and listening completely the opposite, and it, like you can recall it, but 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 then but then like what happened? Ah, <laughs> yeah, it's inter- it's interesting how three different people can do the same thing and, <laughs> and yeah, and realize it differently too. That that that's what's fascinating about it. It's like we're, yeah. we're not all that different as far as what we do, and and yet we all learn and do completely differently. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I just finished a book, not to not to completely derail the conversation Squirrel. already, but yeah. uh, I, I, I just finished a book um, by uh, Temple Grandin, uh, which is a, a big, uh, for anyone who's potentially familiar with that, she's a big, um, uh, a big advocate for like, you know, the more, more awareness of like autism and she's a big animal rights person and like she has all this research done in two different ways that like people learn and brains work and all this kind of stuff. Uh, she just wrote a new book called Visual Thinking and it is phenomenal. I mean, like, one of the be- one of the better reads I've had in, in the past few years. Um, and she like breaks down how different brains work, how visual thinkers work versus how more um, more uh, verbal thinkers work. And hearing about how different everyone perceives information is just like, you know, because like I think that naturally we kind of fall into this place of like, well, people probably mostly think like me right or like not maybe like not in terms of content what they think about but like the way they process information i think that's where like a lot of the misunderstandings about like why don't you understand this comes from because people don't realize that we all kind of receive information differently and our brain processes processes that information differently like i'm sure you've had a situation where somebody's told you something and you're like i heard what you said but i have no idea what you just said you know I'm in sales. This happens all the time. <laughs> or maybe it. And you even told sometimes... me you want this. Why don't you? Do... It's like I gave you this. Yeah, that's not what I want. You did you not say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, or even like there's times that like somebody tells you something and like you say what, and then a few minutes later you're like, oh, like it just like clicks what they said. Like somebody just takes a second to process. It's just like things like that. Like are everybody's brain is wired so slightly differently that like even if you fall into a category of like you're this type of thinker you're not going to fit perfectly into what those types of thinkers typically are like you know so it's like you got to find what works for you and how to how to accommodate for your learning and thinking style to make you as productive as possible like you know if i like my my parents have no have no clue about like why i'm able to listen to music or videos or podcasts and still work on other things like to them that's just baffling they're like how, how can you focus I'm like i can't focus if i don't do that you know like i have to have other things going on so it's it's kind of again not to not to throw us way off course but that that just kind of led led me into that mindset oh this is pre-show this every, everything is game here and it's like and, okay and then, if it's, and then if it's too off the rails it's like well we'll just trim that down real good and perfect that's just the way i like it exactly so this this is the this is the freebie if it's great it stays if it's not great it just you know we get we get to the meat later yeah <laughs> uh 
Well, I am ready to jump into some topics because I feel like we got some really fun stuff to talk about. And I don't want to keep Brendan up all night. <laughs> Trying to sneak in a look at the game quickly. Okay, welcome everyone. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, Falcons are playing the Carolina Panthers right now. So already derailed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like welcome. Derailed. What game? <laughs> it's not even what. It's ten seconds in. Yeah. Well, with that, it's a new record. <laughs> oh, uh, I, yeah. This, this is the way we roll. It's the way it goes. I'm impressed. Well, welcome to November, everybody. <laughs> I told you Just it's better. I like fall, falling left and right, falling back. Yeah. Well, uh, happy uh, daylight savings. Uh, well, end of daylight savings. We're back, and welcome to another episode of Ubiquitous Methods with uh, our co-host Patrick. What's up, Patrick? How you doing? I, I, it's, it hey. doesn't feel. It, I, I'm used to daylight savings time already. It's great. It's fine. I'm. I'm I won't fall asleep during the show. And if I do, we have our fabulous guest to, <laughs> to, yeah, to, to carry my place. Right yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's yeah. up? Brandon. Yeah. How's it going? How Thanks you for having me on. Good, no good. Problem. Yeah. Well, so you and uh, you and Patrick know each other, right? Why don't you tell us we a do. little bit about that? Because I think there's been some, like, I think Patrick's been cheating on me a little bit. <laughs> No, we Only we, we have rec- we a have recorded bit. a few episodes <laughs> at this point. He, he's my honor. Wow, a few episodes? I thought it was just one. <laughs> no, oh my I've gosh. done my gosh. three. What the heck? Three uh, you've done three, and yeah. I've done one on one. your show. Yeah, on your other show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so, he, so, so four total. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just gonna go and pout on the side, but yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you again for having me on. Uh, my name is Brendan. I am the host of a podcast called Talk Ag to Me, in which I uh, bring random people on, like Patrick, to uh, tell me how much they know about agriculture and then tell them they're stupid. So it was a. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good sport, so it's fine. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, are you gonna so do that today my... to us too? Like, you're stupid. what are you talking about? That was Mushroom's the trap. Not growing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you guys know this? No. Yeah. So uh, you don't the- grow cows in the field, okay? <laughs> they eat the grass. They don't. I mean, the, technically, they grow in the field. It just takes them a few years. You know? <laughs> Talking about football so, yeah, so, field um, or pitch or yes, <laughs> oh, exactly. Ahead, <laughs> See, you're good. no. Yeah. Uh, my show is all about uh, connecting people to the source of their food. Um, I am currently studying to be a high school agriculture teacher, and in studying that, I have learned that there is a massive disconnect between uh, the general public. Public and the agriculture industry. And so I'm serving as that bridge of communication, basically translating, here's what's going on in the ag industry. Here's what's going on with your food production. Uh, what questions do you have? What can I you know, help you clear up? And then uh, kind of bring in those concerns back to the industry to say, hey, I've talked to people from outside the industry. Here's what they want to know. Here's what they know. Um, you know, How can we bridge that gap a little bit more? So uh, that's the basic premise of my show. I've been running it for four years now. Um, and actually, uh, about two years into my show, I decided to change gears. I was originally just interviewing people in agriculture to kind of try to get more information out about the industry, realized that nobody was listening. So I uh, uh, kind of pivoted and started interviewing people outside of the industry and learning about what they knew, didn't know, wanted to know, all of that stuff, and then started kind of learning uh, more about how to communicate more effectively from there. So where Patrick comes into all of this... Um, 
actually my first ever episode interviewing somebody outside of the agriculture industry was with Patrick. Uh, so he was kind of my, my guinea pig for uh, talking to people on the other side of the fence, kind of learning about, um, you know, what the, the general consumer, quote unquote, uh, thinks and kind of what they generally uh, care about when it comes to their own food. And uh, he kind of helped me model my, my conversations with people outside the industry, kind of taught me a thing or two about how much people actually know, because uh, unfortunately, in the ag industry, we kind of have this <laughs> idea that um, people who don't grow up on farms don't know what farms are and so we um we can get a little bit uh, on our high horse about that so patrick humbled me and, and taught me that you guys know more than you think than i than i think you do um and so for the past two years i've been uh, having a lot of uh, different conversations with people outside the industry and in the industry about how to more effectively communicate agriculture and just kind of again bridge that uh, communication barrier so that's a little bit about me. Uh, Patrick's been on the show, like we mentioned, uh, three times. Uh, he's been on uh, for the initial episode. I brought him back on for uh, another episode uh, during my what I call my all-star season, uh, where we talked about a topic that we're actually going to kind of reintroduce today. Um, and then you were on for another episode, but I don't remember what it was. I think, um, I think, did we, we... I don't know if we did. We recorded them back to back. I was like the first and second episode. I don't remember if it was all one conversation oh, or if we did it. You're um, right. Uh, but yeah, because we ended up picking up another some more like Star Warsy things, and it was really that's fun. right. Yeah, yeah. So our uh, oh, nice. interestingly enough, every episode I've had Patrick on has been an ag tech based episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is kind of where our our dynamic has has fit most cleanly. Uh, so the first episode was generally what agriculture consists of. I mentioned the idea that agriculture actually does use robots for a lot of our production. That caught his attention and said, we need to do a part two. So uh, a couple weeks later, I think it was, we recorded mm-hmm. a part two and and did that as well. And we, ca- we talked a lot more about like what robotics looks like in agriculture and uh, what, you know, what agriculture looks like in general media, like Star Wars, for example. Um, and I kind of took that idea and expanded upon it and made multiple episodes on different media that agriculture exists in and did more in-depth analyses. That one was without Patrick, but he was kind of the foundation of, of that idea. So thank you for, for that. Um, and then, yeah, he came back on to talk about this really cool ag tech company that we're going to mention a little bit later called Monarch Tractor. Um, and we've had some, some fun nerd outs about that since, but he's been a, a very good resource in my development in the podcast community and has taught me a lot about, you know, general podcasting tips and how to have good conversations with people and how to not be condescending to people who don't come from <laughs> backgrounds. And, uh, yeah, we've had some, we've had some, some fun gaming sessions and that sort of thing. So. Do you have like a, a reel of your favorite uh, condescending moments to your guests at all or no? <laughs> oh, man. That's it. That's it. That'd be interesting to get, right? Yeah, like... that, that's a good question. Yeah. So when I started uh, interviewing people outside of the industry, I had this list of like um, – almost like a, like a, like a exam that they had to pass to, to prove to me that they knew about agriculture. Again, I came into this like completely I – was, I was – 19 20 years old when i when i had my first non-ag person on and so i was like you know thought i knew everything about the world because every 19 or 20 year old does and i, I still was do. like <laughs> <laughs> i'm just waiting for y'all to catch up guys oh, there we go <laughs> and, and so i asked things that were just like i looking back on them i i thought they were rude patrick's been a good sport about it and said that they were not that bad but i asked things like um do you know that chocolate milk doesn't come from brown cows or, uh, you know, do you, do you know about like, you know, like just general, Wait, like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> so just okay, like I'll... stuff like that, or, you know, just kind of like, like what, 
what, what most people will consider no brainer stuff. Um, but I, you know, in the agriculture industry, we have, again, this, this kind of stigma that this is where the general public's knowledge is at, because there was a study that came out a few years ago that said that 7% of Americans believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. And so we, we've been throwing around that, that fact as if it's like, you know, 97% when it's 7%, you know, so I, but in, in fairness, so anything above zero is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. Agree. I mean, let's be point. honest. There's some questions that need to be raised there. Like what's, what's going on there? Yeah. So it, <laughs> my, my initial kind of like break the ice questions. And I only did this for like two episodes. I did this with Patrick and then with another podcaster friend of mine named Alex. Uh, I asked them the same set of questions. And then afterwards I was like, that sounds kind of mean. I shouldn't ask those questions anymore. And I stopped asking them. Um, but essentially it was those kinds of like, you know, do you know, like true or false, a cow has to have a baby to produce milk, you know, like stuff that's not, not only is it like kind of a kind of no brainer questions, but also it's like, that doesn't really prove whether or not you're agriculturally literate. It's more so like, can do you know these very like basic things about agriculture? Um, whereas now I, cause now I'm doing a master's level research for my, uh, for my master's degree and, and my research is in ag literacy and ag communications. And in doing that research, I've found like some actual important things that people should know about agriculture, like how milk gets from the cow to the bottle that's on your store. Um, and all the steps in between that, you know, cause that, that is a lot less known than the chocolate milk brown cow thing. Um, like most people, I wouldn't say most, but a, a decent portion of people probably couldn't describe to you the process through which the, the milk gets from the cow to the processor, to the packager through, you know, all these different steps until they, until it reaches the store shelf. And that's a lot more important in my opinion than whether or not, you know, that chocolate milk comes, comes from brown cows. So yeah, <laughs> you just look at, look at the store, right. And a lot of people just don't realize like mushrooms, celery, onions, things like that. Where does that come from? And uh, it takes a lot of, I mean, I want to say it, it takes a lot of effort to find out, but it, it does take like the desire to get that understanding. So, I mean, do you see that as something that, um, like, I, my curiosity is like, how does a uh, how does one kind of go about doing so? And I, I definitely want to get into our topic of conversation, but in this is for, good stuff, like with respect oh, yeah. to like just educating people about agriculture. How do you go about teaching people? That is a fantastic question. That's the question of the year. Uh, so that that question right there has been kind of the, um, you know, the stumper for the ag industry for the past, I would say, 10, 20, maybe longer uh, years, because we have had such a hard time connecting with people outside the industry and you know the the old-fashioned farmers because the, the average farmer is around 50 57 58 years old uh, so they're not necessarily on the younger side you know you don't have like most farmers are not on instagram and snapchat and twitter they're like maybe on facebook if we're if we're lucky um and they're not interacting with people outside of their industry they're interacting with family members or people from their community and that's about it uh which they're not expected to you know we're not like saying hey you you know you guys need to get out there and talk to the people they need to hear from you it'd be great if they could but they're busy guys you know they're they're and girls you know they're out there you know breaking their necks trying to to feed the world um so the conversation has been, how do we have those conversations and whose responsibility is it for the general public to be educated about that kind of stuff? Uh, we have ag teachers. That's what I'm studying to be. You know, we have people who are teaching the next generation, you know, but who's teaching the current generation and, and why, why is it okay for us to teach the next generation and then stop teaching them once they're out of the classroom? Um, you know, we have all these advertisements, all of this, you know, PSA stuff all over social media about all these different issues going on in the world. And there is no conversation about 
how food is being grown, what's what's being done to it before it gets to the shelf, um, or what the people who growing who are growing it are actually like. Um, because that's the other thing too is you know the 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 general consensus from what from from our perspective from the agriculturalist perspective is that people think that we're just a bunch of factory farmers that are just like you know we're we're doing the most efficient process possible and what's going to get the most money but not maybe not what's the most safe or what's the most humane or anything like that whereas there's there's a lot of gray area in what what people would, would consider that that aspect of food production um so the best way to educate in my opinion and this is what i'm what I'm writing my master's on is to meet people where they're at. You know, like it's like you said, you you kind of have to go out of your way to find information about this stuff. It's not like a Google search away. Like it's like a Google search away. And then you have to go three pages into the Google search to find anything relevant. Um, because unfortunately the research that we've done on agriculture is blocked behind, you know, pages and pages of extension research that is way too scientifically, um, like complex to understand and like not to say that the people who are reading it wouldn't understand it because it's too complex but i don't like i i enjoy scientific literature and i don't want to spend an hour trying to decipher what this one scientist wrote about this one strain of corn you know it it, it gets boring um and I, i've been saying for a while that that um agriculture kind of needs to adopt like a um almost like a content creator persona of sorts. Like not that we need our own influencers because we have those and they don't really work all that well, uh, but we need to have more charisma in terms of how we communicate with the public. For one, stop being condescending when we talk to them. And for two, talk to them like they are caring people who actually want to learn instead of people that just need to know so that way they can vote on the right things that are going to help the farmers. Um, you know, because we, we've been seeing it as like a, well, if, if they... Well, you have, you have both sides of it. You have people in the industry who are like, people don't need to know where their food comes from. They don't care. They don't care where their iPhone comes from. Why would they care where their food comes from? First of all, I disagree with that because I think that people do care about where their food comes from. And I think it's a little more important to care where your food comes from than where your iPhone comes from. But that's just me. Um, but then you have people on the other side there like, well, they do need to care, but they're never going to listen to us. So we shouldn't even try. And I also disagree with that because as I've learned through talking to people like Patrick and like Alex and like my other friends that I've met through the podcasting community, people care a lot if you just give them the information, you know, like I guarantee you that the most people are not going to go out of their way to research the things that we're going to talk about today in this episode, but we're presenting that information to them because we think it's interesting. We think that they'll find it interesting, right? So I'm not saying that we need more and more ag podcasts. It's great that we have them. They're growing. It's awesome. But we need to meet people where they're at and we need to realize that people are not going to come to us. So we need to present the information in a way that's that's intelligible and that's actually worth caring about and not just a bunch of either political jargon or just a bunch of scientific terminology that makes no sense. Um, so that that's my approach to it. It's kind of interesting in the world we live in right now um, because you have I feel like you have your expertise that you have as like your career. So, for example, mm -hmm. you're learning to become an agricultural teacher and mm -hmm. to be able to educate people in the field. But then they, you have to have all these other things that kind of support that, right? You like public speaking, uh, technology, the use of technology, advertising, things like that to be able to kind of get the word out so people can understand what you're trying to say. Uh, but it's, for me, it's interesting as you're describing that and kind of talking about that, it's interesting to see that the, 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 the multiple facets of technology that could help the agricultural community get their word out because it is not just like technology that helps like them with their job with respect to automation or getting data get data out of their uh, their form other fields or anything like that 
but more importantly, like how can the how can you make them more efficient? How can they get the word out to more people to understand? Hey, this is what's going on. I mean, because I feel like there's um from my perspective, it feels like there's this kind of veil where I just see everything up to the grocery store, and then beyond that, I don't know what happens to my food. I don't know where it comes from. I assume that if I see it labeled as organic, that okay. Most likely, that means it's certified by California as like whatever organic means by California, like like pesticides and other things. But for me, even then, I'm still not sure what organic means. I might have been wrong there, right? So it's kind of interesting how it would be great. For example, just a small example in the store, just says that you have like a little sign that says organic. This is what certified organic means in California, because it's different by the state. And, and, like if you go to like another state like Nevada or Arizona, I'm pretty sure their definition of uh, organic might be a little bit different. And then in addition to that, it's like if it's national, then h- how can I know that it's national? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just 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 a, a disclaimer for the record: organic is a federally uh, provided label, so it, it would be the same in every state. But exactly, you know, to your to your point, that's an example of something that would be nice to know. But there's unless you like go out of your way to find that, that's not readily available knowledge. Uh, so I agree with you. I mean, I think that it'd be great to have you know signs in grocery stores or like just basic you know presentation of information, and it doesn't need to be like a kindergartner level. Like here's what the organic label means, you know, ju- but just something that that people could read and just be like, oh, well, that's interesting, because it, I feel like. Again, if you if you give that information to people, they're going to start to take notice more as to what's going on in the world around them. Like I'm not asking you to know what every single food product goes through to get to your to your, to get to your shelf. I am asking you to understand that you know, like you mentioned, getting that food to that to that uh, shelf is more than just pulling it out of the back of the store, that there's more to it behind the scenes and that there's a lot of complexity to that process. And things like organic or, you know, you have your like your non-GMO, your antibiotic free, those kinds of labels, what those actually mean and what like, for example, organic is the only label that is uh, federally certified. Every other label, your GMO free, your antibiotic free, your hormone free, those are pretty much up to the marketers. There's no verification as to that process. There's no like, they don't have to get approval from anybody. They can just slap that on there. Not saying that they're lying, but there's nobody stopping them from doing it if they wanted to. Um, there's so, there's no one verifying they're telling the yeah. truth either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's know. great to know, right? Because I would look at non-GMO or not like all of those labels and be like, oh, that's going to be healthy for me. And but who knows what non-GMO means? Because it's, if it's left up to the manufacturer or to the producer, then it can mean anything that's within their definition. And they'll be like, yeah. well, we define it on our website. That's for you to know and look at. Yeah. Well, fun fact, like like so many things are GMO, you know, like carrots, for example. Carrots are not naturally orange. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> But it As also depends. They were GMO, g- g- yeah. genetically modified to be orange. Yeah, but it depends on why. But it depends but on your were. definition of genetic modification, right? Yeah. Which you know, not to like this is biotechnology, so it's still kind of relevant, but not to not to take us out of, out of you know out of our topic for yeah. the day. But yeah, you know, like like genetic modification itself has a weird definition. You know, like for the label to be there, it has to be like not modified in a lab. But you can selectively breed something into a certain type of tree, and that's technically a gmo it's just not what we consider gmos you know whereas like uh for something to have a non-gmo label like if you put a non-gmo label on like grapes that's kind of redundant because there's never been a gmo grape i mean like by by scientific definition we've never genetically modified grapes before 
So, so if I'm not wearing a lab coat, is it really GMO? Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> exactly. So that's just kind of, you know, and, and kind of getting back to your point about the, you know, the technology that we could be using to get our message out further. I, I, I was so close to putting certain stuff on our list today to talk about that relates to that. But I was like, I, they're going to want to hear about production stuff. Let's talk about production stuff. But there is technology that's benefiting education and agriculture. And there's a, there's a company that I've been talking to that I'm really excited about. Um, that they're let, actually... Let, let's go into it. Talk about okay, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, well, I'm excited. You're excited. Yeah. Well, we, we can transition into the production stuff afterwards, but just to give an example of technology that's being developed to help with ag education, this is more in the classroom, but I could see this having practical use uh, outside of the classroom long term. Um, there's a company in Australia called Farm VR, um, where they're actually producing uh, VR software and, and VR um, programs that, that would allow for teaching agricultural lessons in, in more urban communities that don't have access to uh, like agricultural land to learn from. Uh, so Farm VR is is awesome. They're they're part of a, a larger company called Think Digital, but their their branch of Farm VR produces um, augmented reality apps. You can actually get on your phone. I have mine uh, right now, and you can basically put up an AR version of a pig on like your table and look at it. And it's it's realistic to what actual pigs look like. Um, and they have VR classrooms that you can actually use to teach your students about agriculture uh, right in front of them. You know, and so it's like. It's very, very early in development. They've they've made a few lessons, but it's not super expansive. Like they have it for like a few different animal science classes, but that's about it. Um, but it's stuff like that that's like I could see that being used long term. And as a big VR nerd, that was super exciting for me to see because I've been trying to crack the code on how to make um, agriculture accessible for for educators in VR for a long time because we're already teaching a lot of classes in VR, but agriculture is not one that has been easy to do for a while. So seeing that actually being able to be implemented got me excited. Yeah, it's I mean, pretty you, cool. That, that, I mean, that replaces it, uh, that replaces dissecting frogs and stuff. You know, you can be like, yeah. "Here's a pig, like, like flip him over, mm-hmm. and this is what his hoof looks like. This is what his tail looks like. Here's his ears, and you can zoom in, and it's yep. super cool." Yeah, and yeah. even walk through like a field and kind of understand the different parts of the process of just producing corn, for example, or something like that. Now, it's funny because this is kind of the part of a Meta's vision that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? In a sense of like AR and VR. Because something like this would be very useful for education and be able to kind of say, hey, here's how we could uh, enhance someone's knowledge of agriculture or yeah. something else, you know. So that that it's kind of interesting. So I love that. I'm going to take a look at that. If ever, like whenever I have kids, I'm just going to have them look at that eventually, too, as a way to kind of <laughs> supplement that as well. But I mean, um, it's kind of interesting because you're talking about this part, which is kind of understanding the full life cycle. Right, it feels like the uh, farm VR is kind of looking at the life cycle of agriculture, like from production all the way to consumption. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why don't you talk a little bit about that? I mean, there are different parts of it. It's not just literally grow spin in the field and then you, you take it out, put it in a store, and that's it. You want me to break down like the the supply chain or what farm VR is is specifically uh, doing, or like the supply chain, the supply chain. Okay, like, yeah, like yeah. So quickly, because we're going to talk about production, but just to understand like the yeah. the different parts. Great, great, great idea. So the supply chain uh, in its most basic form uh, consists of a few different fundamental pieces. And those pieces are going to look different depending on what the product is. But essentially, you're going to have a producer. That's your farmer. Um, You're going to have a processor that does something to the product to make it available in the market. You're going to have a packager uh, that packages the product. That's, That's where they put the labels on, all that kind of stuff. Contrary to popular belief, the producer does not put the labels on the product, nor do they decide what labels get put on the product. That's all part of the packaging process and the marketing. 
Um, and then that from the from the packager, it goes uh, through distribution to a wholesaler. Oftentimes, sometimes it skips the wholesaler and goes straight to the retailer, which can be either a restaurant or it can be a grocery store. Uh, there's other, you know, they have like schools and stuff like that as well. Uh, and then it gets to the consumer. So that's the most basic fundamental uh, model of the food supply chain I can give. But I usually like taking an example of any kind of product and then going through the steps that way because it makes it a little bit more understandable. So give me any kind of any kind of food. I had a parsnip tonight. Made some a parsnip? Yeah, yeah. So I put some parsnips and cauliflower, um, baked that, made a little bit of mash, put a little bit of butter in there. So let's talk about this parsnip. Okay. Yeah. So, so your parsnip, uh, your producer is going to be your farmer, obviously. So whoever's growing the parsnips, uh, I personally could not tell you where parsnips are most commonly grown. I know they're grown in California. I'm just not sure where, um, but you take your parsnip, you know, get, it gets, it gets planted, it gets grown, it gets harvested, uh, from the point of harvest to the point it is on the truck going to the next stop. That is the distribution. Uh, so it starts off with the producer, which is the farmer gets distributed to the processor at the processor. It depends on what, the product is going to become. So if it's just staying a raw parsnip, they'll clean it. Uh, they usually have a, a USDA inspector at each step of the chain to make sure that things are being done safely. Uh, so you have an inspector who's going to be there to make sure that it meets uh, cosmetic standards as well as uh, actual food safety standards to go into the market. And if there's any parsnips that get collected during the, the chain that are not uh, cosmetically approved for consumer appeal, they'll be tossed, which is another th big thing. We have about a 40% uh, food waste ratio in, in the United States. And most of that is because food gets thrown out because it looks ugly, not because it's unsafe, just because it looks bad and people aren't going to buy it. Um, so what, what does cosmetic mean though? Does it mean like, does it have like any blemishes on it? Uh, discoloration? Uh, it, it could be anything. Um, you know, so yeah, so you might have um, maybe while, while it was getting picked, uh, getting picked, it got, um, you know, tossed into a bin and it got it it hit the bin a little bit too hard and got bruised or maybe it uh, got dropped and got some dirt on it um, and that dirt stayed on it until they got to the facility and they tried to wash it off and during the washing process it got scraped or you know maybe it, it grew a little bit funny and it's a little bit off shaped or it's a little bit off color or you know so anything that is not they, ha they have standards for all, for all for all food. Like, I don't know the specific standards for parsnips, but I know for oranges, they have standards for uh, what color they need to be, what size they need to be, what shape they need to be. And if those standards are not met, that food does not go to market. Um, it usually gets tossed. Sometimes it gets recycled into other foods. Sometimes it'll get passed off to a different supply chain that takes it to like food banks. Uh, that's kind of a newer thing, though. For a long time, it just got thrown away. 40% um, of food got thrown away. 40%. Wow. Yeah. Which most of most of that food waste is on the consumer level and on the processor level. Those are the two biggest causes of food waste right there. And 90, uh, not 90, uh, a big portion of that reasoning is because of cosmetic issues. So uh, again, not, not food safety, not taste, not anything besides it looks ugly. So I don't want to buy it. So that's <laughs> right. So but but the thing is, you know, the, the production chain doesn't want to do that, right? They, they want to sell whatever they can. As the consumers, we have kind of adapted into a, a mode of we only buy the things that look nice and everything else we don't buy. So it doesn't it doesn't sell. And so now we've we've trained the production chain to not even put those things on the shelf, because if it's not going to sell, why waste our time putting it on the shelf? So they just throw that stuff away automatically. Um, so yeah, so we've, we've, we've evolved our own food production system into a very cosmetically based system. So you might have food that is 
perfect looking, absolutely beautiful, and it's lower nutritional value and lower in taste quality than food that looks a little ugly, but is perfectly safe for you and is super healthy for you. And that food that is much better for you is going to get tossed because it doesn't look perfect. So that is marketing, man. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) exactly. That is 100%. Yeah. So that's the processing chain. Yeah. (laughs) So... So that that's a, that's the second step of our chain, right? So we had producer, you know, grow the grow the parsnip. It gets thrown onto the truck. The truck takes it to the processor. The processor then cleans it, throws out any anything that's not cosmetically perfect, and and the food safety inspector makes sure that everything is done to standard. If there's anything that potentially violates a food safety hazard, that gets thrown out as well. It then goes on to the packager, which sometimes those are the same thing. For parsnips, I do not know, but oftentimes the processor will go straight to the packager, which is in the same uh, facility. Uh, sometimes they're not. They get shipped out to a different facility for packaging. Um, and there are sometimes that certain products get processed and packaged all on the same farm. That's a different thing, though. We'll get to that later. Um, and so the parsnip goes to the packager where it could get packaged into a million different things. If it's being processed into a different food or being used as an ingredient, then it'll be combined with other products into that ingredient. Um, if it's just being sold as the raw parsnip, it might be thrown into a bag with other parsnips or whatever. Like uh, when you bought the the parsnips, what, what kind of packaging did they come in? A bag? Yeah, like a little, yeah, bag of three. Yeah. So there you go. So they'll be thrown into the bag with the other two. Um, they'll have any labels put on there that are necessary, anything that might be necessary for the marketing. Uh, that's where all of like your, um, usually you'll have kind of like a, uh, what's the word? Um, not a wholesaler, but you'll, you might have like an LLC or a cooperative come in and buy those products and they put their own like marketing on it. They put their own, uh, labels and, and, you know, brands and all that kind of stuff. And oftentimes they may have a role in like what kinds of labels get put on like the non GMO stuff, the organic, all that. Um, if they're certified for organic, if not, they might put whatever other labels they want to put on there. Um, you know, nutritional facts, all that. And then at that point it's ready to go to market. So it gets shipped uh, on another truck or a plane or a boat, wherever it's going, uh, to the wholesaler. If there is a wholesaler, uh, if there's not, then it goes straight to the retailer and that's where it gets put in the back of your Walmarts and, and targets. And then, uh, as a consumer, we go and buy it off the shelf at that point. So in a nutshell, that is the whole production chain. Um, it is a lot more complex than that, but that's the most, those are the most important parts to understand. That is a lot right there. And it makes me appreciate farmer's markets a little bit more because (laughs) you just get it directly from the farmers instead of having to go through that whole process. But uh, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, cause like I said, like behind that veil, all I thought was, oh, there's a bag of parsnips. Let me pick up the bag and pay for it. And that's it. So there's this whole process, this whole life cycle behind that. That's kind of interesting. And it's just I mean, it's amazing to just imagine all the different parts of that, all the different, like from the producer to the packager to everyone that has to work together. How do you track all of that? So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, let me ask you this question. With respect to just the producers and looking at them, uh, I mean, we already talked about the educational piece and kind of like how Farm VR kind of helps people to be able to kind of understand some of the things that farmers deal with, but or from an educational standpoint. But what are some of the things, the challenges that producers are looking towards technology to solve? Like, what are some things that they're looking for to say, hey, like, how, how, because it's kind of an interesting thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, it's like, they, they, they just pretty much try to pick things up and trying to just say, hey, let's just, let's just send this to the, to the packagers or to the, the processors, right? So mm-hmm. uh, what, what kind of challenges do they experience right now? 
the list goes on. I mean, there there is a, a huge, huge. I, I you can make an entire episode about all the issues that are facing agriculture. Uh, but to to put it in most basic terms, uh, actually, one of one of my teachers told me this, and I'll never forget it. It doesn't matter where you go, anywhere you go, the the three biggest issues that agriculture will always be facing is water, labor, and regulation. Those three are always going to be the killers. Um, so there's there's a million and one other issues. I mean, energy is, is a big one. Um, you know, the the need for efficiency is always a big one. Uh, price, you know, uh, fluctuation in markets is always a big one. But no matter what, water, labor, and regulation are always going to be the hardest issues. And so the need for technology usually comes out of those three issues. You know, we, we produce technology to help with our labor shortage. We produce technology to help with our uh, lack of resources, whether it be water or fertilizer or, you know, name your other resource that you're missing there. Technology can usually help with it with some of that. Um, and then regulation, you know, if we're having to grow things under harder conditions and we're not able to use certain products, we have to develop technology that can accommodate for that lack of, of you know, re- again, that, the lack of resource that we're not able to bring in there. So those are kind of your, your big dogs that usually tie in to what, some of the new innovations and in technology that were being used today. Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> so it looks like, uh, I mean, so labor, water, and regulation. The last one is definitely probably the most challenging one because that one you just got to talk to your local congressperson and figure that one out, which <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of the farmers probably voted this past Tuesday to kind of sort that one out too, to get the right people in the right place. But I mean, so when it comes to labor, I mean, I, I feel like technology has the biggest impact there, right? It, it can have, or at least let me not say that. I don't, that's not the right, right way to put that. There's, there's technology available immediately to help with that area that arena yes um water is a little bit more complicated and i'm pretty sure they can go like another episode talking about water and the challenges about water um but labor i mean there's some pretty cool things out there right now that we could take a look at right um what are some things that we could uh that because we could look at to say hey this is a way that technology is helping with uh, uh farmers with labor yeah definitely uh, so labor is is a very sticky subject in agriculture because uh, we have a severe labor shortage and, and we have for years. Um, there really there will never not be a labor shortage in agriculture. It's just always going to be like that just because of how much there is to do. Uh, I I don't want to get the number wrong, but it's it's either there's seven. I want to say there's seven million. It's not seven billion. That'd be way too high. I believe there's seven million uh, jobs open in agriculture. There are at, at all times like they're not being filled um gracious yeah. yeah so we want to talk about like unemployment and people not being able to find jobs we always have unemployment because we cannot get people in in those jobs um which i can't blame them i don't want to be out there picking you know picking berries all day either it's, it's hard work um but that's not just you know the farm worker jobs agriculture is a very expansive industry that's you know developing technology that's running uh, certain operations that's management stuff that's marketing that's you know that's expansive of the entire agriculture industry not just the farm workers out there actually collecting the product um so when we put it in perspective it sounds like you know there's there's a lot of jobs open which there is um but in terms of filling those jobs it's a lot harder than just well let's let's advertise more you know more, to get more people out there because as we've already talked about most people don't want to do those jobs you know you could find somebody who is desperate for a job wanting to you know wanting to work somewhere and they they will still choose anything over agriculture it's, it's such a hard uh, industry to work in the conditions are very very difficult and you can make your conditions as 
you know, as good as you want for your employees, but the environment will never be kind. Um, that's just kind of how, how it works. You know, you can have, you know, the most breaks possible. You can have water, you can have like the best insurance, all those kind of stuff. They're still going to be out there in the hot sun and they're still going to be, you know, they're still going to be subject to weather and all these different environmental factors that you just can't control for. Uh, so as labor hauled hay, I can absolutely, uh, attest, you know, there is, there is nothing there 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 is nothing that and my 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 folks that I work for took good care of us with food and breaks and whatever that they were not they were not treating us bad and it was still backbreaking is is exaggerating <laughs> but it was it was exhaustive work exhaustive exhaustive work. yeah well there's a lack of appreciation for that right I feel mm-hmm. like for someone I mean. If, for anyone who has done that, they would probably be like, they're, they're, you should be appreciated a little bit more. Not yeah. necessarily by your employer, but probably by the people who are consuming your product, right? Because yeah. that you're doing, you're doing a service that a lot of people probably want to do and just enjoy it instead of actually understanding like the what, where it comes from. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I had a job back in the past where I had to change light bulbs in HOA communities. Which is kind of funny. It's not farming, uh, uh, but the reason why I bring it up is you never realize that in your housing community, there's a reason why the lights are always on. And mm-hmm. I was, I was something I was doing. I was like going up. I was Somebody's going up on stairs. Yeah, yeah on the ladders actually. Yeah, someone has to do it. So it's kind of interesting because uh, I, I feel like that's, <laughs> and this is kind of speaking to your educational thing. I feel like there needs to be a little bit more appreciation. Uh, mm-hmm. Just for the work that farmers do and work that people do, just to bring your food to your uh, to your table. Um, yeah, and which I, I mean, I it's kind of you know become somewhat of a staple of my show now. But I finish all my episodes with "If you ate today, thank a farmer." Um, and I don't do that for the sake of like you you should be grateful for you know what farmers do for you. But I do it as like a hey, take five seconds to think about the process that went into producing your food. You know, farmers don't ask for much. They don't ask to be like glorified. And, and, you know, that's that's not what I ask for either. But to to think about everything that went into that and really it it is difficult to put into words. Um, like what I would really like to say is, you know, if you ate today, thank a farmer, thank the farm workers, thank the people who work, you know, day in and day out every day, you know, sometimes 24 hours a day to make sure that your food is safe, that it is, it is abundant and that it is healthy for you. Um, because they, as you, as we've talked about, they put in every last bit of blood, sweat, and tears in, into that product, not just the farmers, but the people who are working as well. Um, like we talked about, you know, crop production, the people who are out there picking the crops or driving the tractors or, you know, harvesting or doing all those things. But on the animal side as well, I mean, animals don't take Christmas off. You know, you, you still got to milk the cows every day. You still have to check on the babies. You still have to feed. You still have to do all of these things. And you can predict as much as you want, but you're never going to be able to to outpredict animals. They're always going to be a wild card. They're always going to do whatever they want. You you can't you can't ever factor in a vacation because there's always going to be something to to, to look out for. So you know, I, I know dairymen who have had to miss you know large events in their family's lives because they have a cow that went down. They have to milk because their milker had to call in sick or they have to uh, check on, you know, this calf because if, if this calf dies and it's going to be, you know, a really bad thing for for their operation or, you know, it's like it's such a sensitive industry to work in because so much can go wrong in so many different ways and you can never be ready enough for it. Um, and so, you know, and you have milkers who are milking at four in the morning and, the, and then again at four in the afternoon and they're just working around the clock. And it, again, it's, it's one of those things that you just, you can't, 
you can't ever produce working conditions that are good enough to help that person. It's just that's the that's the that's the way that labor is, and there's no way there's no other way around it. You can, and that's kind of what leads into this conversation, right? We're we're developing technology that can alleviate some of that stress, but even then we're developing that technology because we cannot think of any other way to alleviate that stress. And even in the, and the technology can only alleviate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting too, because I think a lot of fear when you think about technology or quote unquote AI machine learning, all of those things is that the, the technology, the, the advances innovation is going to take, they're going to take jobs away from people. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that have, tends to happen a lot. Like if you look at Uber as an example, example, and autonomous vehicles and the, the opportunity there with autonomous vehicles and all the different startups that are trying to attack that space. People are worried about Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, and the opportunities that they're going to have, or like across the country, uh, like world, like different uh, companies that are, are within that space that the opportunity there for autonomous vehicles. But I think for farming, it looks like it's a little bit different. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. In a sense that there's already a deficit, so there's something that needs to be filled, and there's there's an opportunity there to enhance, and, and it, it might not fill everything, all the needs, but at least it'll enhance and make the jobs easier for those farmers, so that they can they can produce more or be more efficient with what they're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. There, there's opposition to automizing agriculture for a variety of reasons. One of them from the people who are outside the industry is, well, you're taking jobs away from all these farm workers. We can't get any more farm workers. We're, we're not taking any jobs away. We're, we're replacing the need for more jobs that, that already don't have positions filled. You know, like we're, it's not that we are trying to like have, you know, have to pay our workers less. It's that we are so, we're so short on work that the workers that we have are being worked way more than they should because we don't have anybody else to do it. You know, like it's, if agriculture, most farmers don't want to adopt new technology. It's difficult for them to learn. It's, it's expensive. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, and oftentimes, like we already mentioned, they're a bit on the older side, so they don't really want to have to learn new tricks anyways. And so for them to have to replace workers that they trust and that they put all their, they put everything into to keep going with technology that they don't know if they can trust, that's a really risky thing for them to do. And again, it, it's, it's kind of a last resort thing. So it, it's, you know, the same concerns that may be present in like autonomous vehicles and some of that more, uh, you know, controversial technology that we're starting to see come out in, in regular life. In agriculture, it's, it's a must. You know, we, we don't have that luxury of saying, well, it's taking away jobs, so we shouldn't do it. It's like, no, it's not taking away jobs. It's filling the need that we are so desperate for right now for getting more work done. So it's interesting to see that barrier right there. In a sense mm-hmm. that there's this generation that this is the way things worked, this is the way this is the way that we're comfortable with things working, and I feel like um, a lot of I mean you can't look at farming as scientific fully. Uh, some of it might be scientific, but there's like an art to it. There's like oh, yeah. a way of like like for example, a coach, a coach that's pushing back on analytics, it might say, "Hey, I have a feel of the game. I know what I, like want to call the right play and things like that." Farmers probably know, hey, like I, I have a feel for like what I'm doing right now, and mm-hmm. trusting and putting that trust, like you mentioned, into technology is it's going to be kind of tough. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how do you kind to how do you how do you uh, open that uh, like bridge that gap? How do you kind of bring those two worlds together so they can come together? Because with technology, I feel like everyone just thinks, oh, like they're just in it for profit, profit, profit. But no, I mean, I feel like there's 
a, a thirst and a desire for innovation to help things out. And it's a real, uh, really real calculation that they have to do. Um, and I posted a link in in our show notes uh, from Smarter Every Day. He uh, he did a video. It wasn't specifically on tech, but it it, it played into it. Um, the video was how he helped build an, an irrigation pivot, and hmm. and so you know the the bulk of the video is him explaining how it works. It was very interesting, very simple mechanically. Mm-hmm. Um, but this thing was enormously huge. I recommend the to click the link. Uh, it, it's very interesting. But at the very very end, he's riding in the tractor with the farmer, and the farmer is uh, running a combine and and harvesting uh, I believe his beans. So he's harvesting the beans. And uh, he was harvesting the area that did not have the pivot. And so you could see in real time the yield he was getting. And he was in the area that didn't have the pivot and said, so right now we're getting this much, uh, this many pounds per, per yard or whatever. And then, and then it gets, starts getting into the area that has been watered, just like on the very out, outer edges. And it's like an, an output, I think it doubled. And then, and then it get into the well watered area, and and it almost doubled again, and so the yields were enormous. But what was fascinating to me was this is a relatively simple, uh, looked to be a relatively simple. It was very big, but it's a relatively simple machine. And 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 so, Destin asked the farmer, "Well, what's the what's the ROI on this?" And it was five years. Like the guy immediately, five years. It's like you could see the results, and the guy had already cal- which great. I'm sure he's already calculated this long before he like. I think I'm gonna build a pivot, and like no, <laughs> but but he knew, and like you could see the differences. He'd already calculated it. Five years is the ROI for something as simple as watering the field. Like that's because this is not. It is complex, but it's not like this isn't a. A, a bean gathering robot doesn't you know this is something to put water on the field <laughs> yeah no i mean I, I i've been seeing those pivots implemented in farms in my local community they're they're impressively big but like you said they're not incredibly complicated i mean I, i've seen drones and robotic milkers and all kinds of technology that is way more complicated that is is not as revolutionary as those pivots um and, and like you said you know it it seems like something so simple but any drop of water that a farmer can save is huge. Uh, like we mentioned, you know, water is, is number one. There's another one of those number like number three big issues. Um, you know, so we may have a robot that could, you know, help with labor a little bit, but if we have a robot that can help with water, that's that's even more of a priority. Um, so, like you mentioned, that farmer probably already has all the numbers crunched in his head about you know what exactly needs to go into his operation for that to be profitable. And you know, we've already kind of touched on it, but farmers have to wear a lot of hats. I mean, they're, they're more than just a farmer. They're, they're, you know, an, they're an accountant, they're a businessman, they're an environmentalist, they are a scientist, they are uh, a family person, you know, oftentimes they're very religious. Um, they're uh, a, a manager of their own business, but also an employee of their business. Uh, they have so many different, and that's just touching the surface. There's so many different things, you know, they, they're um, operators They're Yeah, exactly. They're, <laughs> they're mechanics. They're, they're, they're operators of large, uh, large equipment and technology. Um, they have to be up to date on all of the regulations. So they have to be very knowledgeable in a variety of different, uh, laws and, and, you know, and policies. Uh, there's so much, I mean, they, how they do it all is a miracle. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not here as, as like a, you know, we're so great cause I'm, I'm not a farmer. Uh, I, I was raised around them. I, I respect them greatly, but I, I am not a farmer. I've just, I've just 
had the, had the luxury of growing up uh, watching you know farmers that that were close friends of mine and getting to see them go through all these struggles. Um, but it's a lot, you know. They, they all of those things kind of come back on them uh, tenfold. You know, for the amount of things that they have to do, you can imagine the stress levels that go along with all of that. Um, they they have to account for so many things, and at the end of the day, it could all be blown away tomorrow. You know, this is the environment we're talking about. There is there is no guarantees in life. We can predict, but we can never be sure. And so they they may have every single cent on their operation accounted for. They may have a 10-year plan for their production and for their yields and for everything. And it could all go away because their well ran out of water or because they had a bad storm that destroyed one year's crop and then threw off everything or because they... Uh, you know, they had, they had one loan fall through and then all of a sudden they can't pay off their equipment and they're having to sell off the farm. You know, there, so many things can go wrong, not just, you know, human error, but environmental, you know, impact that they can, they cannot ever account for, you know? So it's, it, it's a very risky business. Like anyone who wants to go into agriculture, uh, like not to discourage, but it's like, you might want to think twice before you agree to, to, to buy that land. It's, it's going to hurt a lot. Um, but it's, it's also a very rewarding business if you, if you see it that way, you know, and as, as we're, you know, kind of dancing around that the technology that we're producing is, is first and foremost, like people like to think that we're producing technology in agriculture because it's cool, which it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about some stuff today that I'm very excited about, which we've already gone on for a while. So I, I apologize for making this such a long episode, but we're, we're producing technology in agriculture, not just because it's cool to look at, like we do with some other stuff that we're producing technology for, but because it is the only way that we can control all those factors that we're, that we're so scared of not being able to control. You know, we, the environment is the most unpredictable factor in any kind of operation. And agriculture is one of the few industries that has to deal with it as a main contender to why they may fail. Technology gives us somewhat of a control over most of that. Now, again, we can never be fully protected against all of those things, but we have a little bit more kind of, um, we have a little bit more say in, in what goes wrong. You know, if, if our crop does get destroyed tomorrow, technology can do somewhat of a job in, in either preventing that or helping us bounce back quicker, you know? So that's kind of the big idea of why, why any of this matters in the first place. You know, why, why are we producing this technology? It helps with labor, but it also helps us kind of, you know, cover ourselves in case, you know, disaster strikes at, at, the, at the least expected moment. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I, I think one such technology that's kind of interesting, uh, it kind of deals with honey, right? So mm-hmm. bee-wise, it was just pretty interesting. The, the, the tagline for this product is the world's first robotic beehive, which is interesting because the first thing you think is, what does that mean? Are we seeing all the bees that are robotic that's swarming around? Zzz, what's going on Which here? Which would be awesome. Like, well, that would be pretty cool. Be like a like a Transformers movie. But I mean, <laughs> like, tell us a little bit about BeeWise, and I, I think it's kind of interesting uh, with what you just brought up. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I first came across BeeWise at uh, the World Ag Expo, which uh, Patrick, you and I have talked about that briefly before, I believe. Maybe not. I don't remember. This. <laughs> Okay, so the World Ag Expo is the uh, world's largest ag uh, technology show, um, and it's hosted in my hometown of Tulare, which for California That's standards, cool. we, we're, we're a fairly small town, but for small town standards, we're a decent-sized city. So we're, we're a population of about 60,000, um, but to have the, you know, the world's largest ag technology show in our, is our, in our town, it's pretty cool. 
Uh, so I, I've met farmers from around the world that have been uh, have, that have been exhibiting technology from all different areas of agriculture, which has been super cool to get to grow up in, and watch. It's like we get because we have a we have a uh, we have fairgrounds in our town too, so we get to go to the county fair and then a few months later go to the World Ag Expo, um, and both of them are cooler to, to to me than Disneyland. So that's that's kind of the you know given a retrospective as to what we got going on here, but I ran into BYs at the last year's World Dog Expo and I got to do a little bit of, of uh, podcast content on them and they gave me a really quick rundown. I didn't get a ton of information from it, but basically in, in its most basic form, the BYs uh, beehive is essentially kind of like what we mentioned, a robotic beehive. It's entirely artificially intelligent. Uh, it can feed the bees. It can monitor their their reproductive cycles. It can keep track of their health. It can keep track of the populations. Uh, it it keeps everything uh, accounted for. All the bees are, you know, like the the population are are tracked by you know the the areas that they're nesting in. The queen is kept track of. If the queen dies, the the queen uh, reproduction cycle is entirely tracked. All that information is sent directly to the farmer, either on their phone or their laptop or whatever. They can track all of it immediately, so they know what the health of their hive looks like, what the what the cycles of their hive looks like, and then what the honey production looks like. Um, the only input or, or output from the farmer is just they need to take out the honey every once in a while, and they need to provide more food every once in a while. But everything else is taken care of by the beehive itself. All the bees are taken care of in terms of their health. If they're sick, they're sprayed with medicine. They are, um, you know, the, the dead ones are disposed of. That way the, they don't hang around the hive because... I actually just learned this like last summer. Bees, when they die, produce a pheromone that smells like bananas. And if that pheromone is smelt by other bees, they will turn like immediately hostile. So if you ever go near bees after you eat a banana, you might want to keep your mouth closed because they will attack you if you smell like bananas. Interesting. Okay. Just Good a fun fact. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Fun. laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just learned that. I thought that was really cool. Um, but yeah, so it, it'll remove the dead ones from them. That way they're not aggressive. Everything is taken care of to the point where the farmer doesn't need to check on the bees. He can just check his phone, his wa- his watch, whatever, and the the hive will update him on everything that's going on uh, at all times. And he only needs to go out there to replace food or to, to collect honey. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool in the sense that it, it does a lot of the environmental controls too, right, with respect to climate mm. and humidity, just to make yeah. sure that the bees are thriving in an environment that, that's best for them. And I like... I was reading a website, I kind of reviewed the materials, and they were talking about swarm prevention, too. Um, are, are you familiar with how swarms are can affect the bee colony and what they how they can uh, influence that? If not, that's okay. I, I, I was just curious <laughs> about that. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm still fairly new to uh, to beekeeping. It's something that I've, I've found a really strong interest in, but I'm still reading about it. Uh, I don't know if you guys are on TikTok at all, but there's some beekeepers on there that are super fun to watch. Um, yeah, they like walk up to just random beehives and just like grab them and throw them into a box. It's really cool. Um, I would never do it, but it looks really yeah. interesting. <laughs> um, it, definitely. But the what I understand about swarms is that kind of how, how I mentioned that bees can become aggressive if they smell certain pheromones. If a bee, if a bee colony is dehived, uh, they can also become aggressive, and that aggressive behavior will often result in them swarming. Uh, it's basically like they don't have a home to go to, so they'll just kind of fly around aggressively till they find a new home, and that can often include them taking out other beehives to take their home. Um, I don't exactly know what causes it. I, I don't know if it's just like you remove their house and all of a sudden they they become aggressive, or if there are certain things that need to lead up to that, or what 
like dictates whether or not they'll they'll dethrone another queen and take her hive or i that part of it i'm not super clear about um, i just know that bees are super sensitive to certain pheromones and to certain um like behavioral interactions between each other and if one's freaking out everybody freaks out and they all will go aggressive and take out whatever is nearest to them um i know that stuff exactly (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so i think that the bee wise hive uh can produce pheromones and other things to try to like keep the bees calm almost like it kind of like um like gases them uh automatically just to keep them from from freaking out but in terms of like the the destructiveness of the bee uh, of the swarm to the to the hive itself i that part i'm not super clear on yeah, but I, I think another thing I like about the VOIs is that are the analytics that you get from that. In a sense mm-hmm. that you could take a look at the just the hive and kind of see, hey, how are we, how are we producing? How's how, like how's the environment? What's working well? What's not working well? And I think that's going to be very important for a beekeeper. Kind of talking about what we talked about before, like the whole analogy of a coach, uh, old guard versus new guard. I think new guards of uh, the new guard of beekeepers now, me being ignorant, um, admittedly. Uh, but I, I feel like that could be helpful uh, in the right hands to kind of like know how to adjust and tune and kind of get more in-depth information about, hey, this is what's going on. Is oh, this? We understand that when we see this, this, and that, we kind of see a dip in production, so we want to, might want to, uh, to adjust there. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, but uh, would you ever get one out of curiosity? You know, like I said, I've I've kind of recently become interested in bees. Yeah. So if I had the land for it, if I were to get a bee uh, colony, I would definitely want to invest in one of these things. I think it'd just be so cool to watch a, a robot beehive do its thing. Because um, like you know, it it's not like your like your traditional robots you see on TV. It's not going to like sprout arms and like just like you know <laughs> wash the bees individually. But it 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 does kind of have that you know that functionality of keeping your hive tracked for you, which I think is super cool. Um, one of the coolest parts about it for me is, um, you don't see a whole lot of this kind of stuff in animal agriculture, uh, cause bees are considered livestock. I'm not sure if, if you guys were aware of that or not, but, uh, yeah, so bees are, are legally considered livestock, uh, because they, they produce an agricultural product essentially, um, which that definition's a little bit wonky cause <laughs> horses are also kind of considered livestock. It's complicated anyways. So bees, uh, bees are considered livestock but they're not like a traditional livestock animal so to see something like this is really really cool because we don't have this in most other livestock like the closest thing we have is we have um, robotic milkers for cows and we have um, kind of like a fitbit thing that cows can wear and it tracks like their um, how much they drink how much they eat if they're sick if they're pregnant if they're walking enough per day all that kind of stuff so we can track that but there's not a whole lot of like automation in the animal agriculture side of things so to see this like to this level of complexity is super cool and it combines what we consider precision technology precision agriculture uh, which is technology that's very very specialized to um you know getting down to like the last grain of salt on on a farm you know like you have precision tech that can monitor moisture content in soil so you know where to irrigate more they can monitor heat signatures over over a large uh, mass of land so you know where to spray more um they can basically monitor every last individual detail of a given operation we're seeing that in animal agriculture now which is super cool because that's that's something that hasn't really been seen yet so that's what gets me excited about it is is the new kind of the move towards the animal side of things just as much as we have on the plant side of things um, but to answer your question yes i, I would 100 percent get one if possible it's got it'll hold 24 hives so one one box which is impressive mm-hmm. 
it's kind of expensive though it seems like so i say it's expensive but i mean 24 hives is a lot of hives so i mean uh, and you and honey is not cheap so i mean i could i i i'm not i've not done the math but that, that I, I assume that's more than enough to to make up for the cost um, yeah. so it's two grand to get it set up that's their delivery fee and then it's 400 bucks a month is their is their charge which seems so i assume you're leasing it you're not buying it so um so but still i mean that's that seems pretty cool yeah, that's, I, that's, that's, the potential to potentials there to make money for sure yeah i mean i i and think it's pretty cool in a sense <laughs> that it's pretty affordable i mean uh i, I well all things considering yeah all things because considered. yeah yeah because that's six eight hundred a year uh for the first year and uh it's a it's it's a pretty expensive hobby, but it's mm-hmm. if you're doing drone, for example, that might be expensive as heck too, depending on what kind of drones <laughs> you're flying. Uh, but uh, the only problem everything here is expensive is... if you get deep enough. Everything. Oh, that's we, true. We're, that's here true. we are talking about technology, sir. We we are technology nerds. It's like it's tell me like, about it. Yeah. You know that's <laughs> yeah. kind of expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, when you talk about it like that, yeah, uh, we spent a lot of money on stuff over the last year. You got yeah. the Samsung fr- frame TV, which. I actually talked about that today with some friends as I was uh, getting catching up with them. I was like, "Yeah, my co-host Patrick got the frame TV," uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, this is one of those gadgets that I wouldn't mind getting if I had more more land. Too bad yes. I live in California because <laughs> I need. I wish I could have an acre of land and just put like a beehive on that. But mm. uh, that would be pretty cool to get and kind of just see how it, it turns out. I, I I wanted to touch on something that Patrick had mentioned. Uh, so you mentioned that, that it looks like you, you would lease it instead of uh, full-on buying it. That's a really important detail because uh, this is kind of a new... Not new I'm assuming. But this is, I, don't, I, I don't see where they say specifically, so I'm, I, I yeah. could be very wrong. No, I think that you're right, though. I think that they are leasing it out instead of, instead of full-on selling them. And the reason I think that is because... And uh, we'll kind of get into this a little bit later, but I just got back from a, a, an ag tech conference um, here in California in Fresno. Um and at that conference, one of the big panel discussion topics was, uh, should we be selling ag tech or just leasing it out? And there was a not near consensus, but there was a pretty strong argument for a lot of ag tech, ag tech companies that are more heavily focusing on the leasing side, just because, as we mentioned, it is really expensive to get into a lot of this stuff. And if it hasn't even been proved to work on large scale uh, production yet, there's no incentive for farmers to buy it. Plus, the liability of, of owning it, if you don't know how to manage it, is really, really high um so there there are a lot of ag tech companies that are really focusing on the leasing side of things instead of the the full-on selling it because for one they can make more money that way and for two it makes it a lot easier and more reliable for the farmer to be able to trust their product that's a good point i hadn't thought about that yeah because i would have i would have thought the opposite but when you think about that yeah that 100 percent makes sense and these are expensive and farmers Mm -hmm. spend a lot of money on equipment anyway i mean Again, we just talked about an irrigation pivot. It just sprays water on your plants, and it's going to take five years for that to pay off. That's yeah. a lot yep. of time, and that's I'm assuming you average. That's assuming average yields and that kind of stuff. Or mm-hmm. you know, if, if suddenly, you know, you get, you know, whatever, you know, anything goes wrong that can go wrong in five years, and like, oh, suddenly this doesn't pay itself off. What do we do? Panic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so yeah. so yeah, so yeah, I just wanted to cover that point, but yeah, you guys, you guys go ahead and no, oh, that's that a great point that was, to that point was out a right great there. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, that, that lowers a barrier of entry for a lot of people. I mean, not to mm-hmm. shell, shell out like a hundred thousand dollars for a box, <laughs> right? So that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, just about anybody could afford that. I mean, if you have the mm-hmm. land already, just I mean, it, again, especially since you know, if you're planning on doing this anyway, you can sell, you know, 
you can make money off of honey and <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, but you can and, and so any, any as long as you got the spot to put it you know anybody could grab one of these things and and potentially make money off of it at the price they're charging that's pretty great yeah exactly yeah yeah well i would say i would love uh i, I know I, I, we're, we're going a little bit long but i would love to talk about the monarch tractor a little bit again i don't know if anybody if y'all if they oh, yeah, would want to do that i think that that's They've come a long way since I think that was Brent a pretty cool thing. Back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so th- this is there's a, this is like the best intersection of ag and what we talk about here in ubiquitous methods, and that it is an automated tractor. Um, it is made by the company is made by ex Tesla employees, and they're just trying to make tractors that are automated. It's, very very cool <laughs> um but Vernon, we spent a bunch of time talking yeah about electric those. too by the way entire episode yes totally electric totally electric um the whole the whole system is i, I should refresh myself a little bit more on this before we talked but the whole system is so cool but you know the they have hot swappable batteries um they're designed to fit in between rows and stuff it is the the technology that they have shoved into these relatively small tractors is incredible and again pretty affordable on top of everything else at least it was um whenever mm-hmm. we looked before i think it was like 60 grand um which is not cheap but for tractors it's easy to spend well over a hundred thousand dollars oh yeah tractors. <laughs> easy 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 so you know they're doing a lot of good stuff so but brendan has had some very cool connections with monarch please uh you've been itching to tell this since we started <laughs> the episode over an hour ago so please tell us your your monarch stories <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I won't keep you guys all night i know you have a, a other things to get to but um i, I want to hear that i want to hear I've okay been for this <laughs> so uh drink is empty, though, and I need <laughs> so to give, to give a little bit of background uh so yeah so as we mentioned kind of towards the beginning of this episode uh patrick joined me on my show to talk about this particular tractor uh monarch tractors uh or original model which i believe is called let me pull it up here um oh they don't have the model name on it never mind uh they they have this this really cool looking model um that is like their 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 initial model that we got to talk about early on early on on my podcast um and like patrick mentioned has come a long way since uh so i got the opportunity to actually meet the ceo of monarch tractor uh about a three or four weeks ago, um, at that ag tech conference I had mentioned, um, I actually got to see their new tractor and get to, I didn't get to drive it obviously, but I got to see all their, all their cool specs on it all the cut, all the stuff they're working with on it. And I got to interview their CEO, which that will be coming out fairly soon on my show. So keep an eye out for that if you want to hear that interview, but, uh, they filled me in on all the new stuff that they're doing, which is super, super exciting. Um, but how it's looking right now is, when we first saw the um, the initial model, it was very very new. You know, they were just like starting to roll it out to, to farmers, and it was like it was available, but it only been available for a few months. Um, and it, it was like uh, you know very not experimental necessarily, but they were like still trying a lot of things because electric tractors were not super common yet. Now electric tractors are everywhere, and autonomous electric tractors are beginning to become more common. Uh, there's other companies like Blue White, and there's one called Elect. Electractor, which I'm not crazy about yeah. the name, but um, <laughs> I, I got to interview, I got to interview them at, at the World Ag Expo uh, last year, so they were they were kind of cool. But um, we're seeing this this new movement for electric tractors in the ag industry, just because for one, there's a big push for you know electric to to take over everything, and for two, 
it's you know the, the fuel efficiency is is something that is to be considered with you know with fuel prices and all and, and availability and all that kind of stuff uh but basically the main premise that makes monarch so special is not only are they electric but they're autonomous so one person can operate i think it's four or five different tractors at once which is a huge huge deal for for the ag industry if you can have one guy operating four tractors instead of four guys operating four tractors that is automatically better um one of the big concerns that uh, was initially part of the product uh uh, project was that these tractors did not have super high horsepower so they could not pull a uh, very uh, very large um what's the word i'm looking for attachments uh and so like they they could only operate on smaller operations while that's still the case they are slowly upgrading the horsepower of these tractors so i don't remember what it is now but it is much higher than it was when we first talked about it so it can pull slightly larger equipment than it could before uh, it's not you know it's not groundbreaking by any means just yet, but it, it very well could soon uh, reach that level of being able to actually be used on any kind of operation. Um, right now, they are primarily used for wineries just because that's where the, com- the company is based out of Liverpool uh, or Liverpool, Livermore, whatever. It, it's based out of California in, in Napa Valley. Um, and so it's it's mostly used on wineries and, and grape vineyards, which is very understandable. You know, there, there's a big market there, but I think that over time we're going to see more of these electric tractors implemented in larger, uh, more commercial operations for different crops than just grapes. Um, and I think that as electric uh, electric technology develops, we're going to see a lot more implementations for you know using some of that more advanced equipment. Like we talked about the the hot battery, they they have uh, batteries that now last longer. Um, their batteries can last ten hours. Is it ten hours? I was gonna say I wanted to say it was eight or ten, but I couldn't remember. Up they asked them on the website, and you can actually control up to eight. Uh, if you, yeah. Uh, oh, it's eight now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Nice. So yeah. They've made so, all these improvements in less than a year because me and yes. me and Brennan talked about this um, about this time last year, uh, and we didn't do this on purpose. It's just... Do you know how, what the specs were at that time? Like what the improvement has been over the. <sighs> I, so when we first covered it, they could only control up to four, I believe, at a time. And I don't remember what the what the battery life was, but it was not ten hours. No, it was, was like four or five or something oh, okay. like that. Um, so it's increased. You know, it it, it it's a decent amount, um, especially for a year's time. That, that's a decent amount of progress. Um, and it's it's got a uh, a solar pack on top of it, so it is uh, somewhat solar powered. Um, and it's got. Cam- oh yeah, that that was a new thing that they just added. It's got cameras all over it, so it's also got precision and smart technology attached to it as well. So on top of just having the operator, you can also map out the the route for that tractor to go, and it can just do it on its own because it has sensors to detect all the all the trees and everything, and all the and all the vines. Um, it's just you know the. It, it is so early in its potential, but it's already doing such amazing things on on these uh, vineyards. So I. I'm excited about it. That was one of the cool, cooler things about the about the conference. When I got there, uh, they they heard I was there and invited me to come uh, meet their CEO and interview him. So that was awesome to get to do. But just to see how much this, not just this company has grown in the past year, but this technology. I mean, electric tractors, autonomous vehicles, um, robotics and agriculture overall, you wouldn't hear about this stuff 10 years ago. And it's already like to the, to the point that it's at, it may not be huge, but it is for how fast it's growing, it is it is a big big deal. Yeah, and it's pretty cool to see how. I mean, I know a lot of people will attribute just like say Tesla is the one. Well, I would say Tesla is the one that kind of shifted the, the landscape, right? Kind of revolutionized cars in the sense that we had the Prius beforehand. We had just like some other electric cars before the Tesla. 
but the Tesla really made it popular. I think the one of the, one of the unsung things that the Tesla has been doing is looking at energy and trying to figure out, hey, how do we make this more uh, compact? How do we make this more production uh, uh, productionized? Productionized, and like I, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, uh, the president came from Tesla. Uh, uh, he he was he's an ex uh, Tesla employee, um, and and it's it's cool to see that how like the vision that they had there is kind of branching off into other niche areas. And this one is a pretty cool one. Now to see like the improvement over the year based on what you two said, like solar power, uh, solar uh, charging, for example, and then uh, increased capacity and increase, uh, uh, increase uh, the ability to, to, to now control eight as opposed to four. That's pretty cool to hear over like a year. And that's a lot of improvement. For a development team, that's a lot, that's a lot of improvement. <laughs> yeah, so they've been working really hard. It's great to see that. But um, yeah, the, the monarch is so cool. I, I like it. I like the product. Um, now let me ask you this: If you had an estimate, like I think the like tractor technology, autonomous tractor technology, is five years off or six years off or how many years off from general application? How far off do you think we are right now? You know, just a year ago, I would have said that we were five years off, and I've already been proven wrong in many ways. Um, I mean, the, the technology that we're seeing now in agriculture is, it may, it may not be widespread, but it is certainly being used for the capabilities of being widespread. Um, right now, it's the, the only challenge is being able to pull larger equipment and uh, keeping up to date with the with the production level that we need. Um, you know, so we have all, all these, I mean, like there is tons and tons and tons of ag technology startups. Like I met, I met a guy from Italy that was, that has a startup that came all this way to California just to see what other ag tech companies are doing. So they kind of knew where, where they were headed. Um, we're seeing so much innovation in the ag tech world. We're seeing, you know, tons of people coming from other industries like Tesla, um, or other companies like Tesla and other, you know, non-agricultural backgrounds, bringing in computer science and, you know, engineering and all these new ideas to the ag world to try to problem solve this stuff. I would love to say it'll be five, 10 years before we have that, that level of, of advancement. I think it'll be two or three, honestly. Um, and maybe not like, to the point where we have electric tractors in every field, but to the point where it is mainstream enough that farmers are like, yeah, this this is justifiable um, like financially. Uh, because that's one of the big challenges we're seeing right now is a lot of farmers are like, that stuff's great, but it's never going to compete with my John Deere. It's never going to compete with you know some of this larger equipment that I can use. And that's true right now. Um, but I think that as the technology advances and as the farmers get pushed more and more into a corner because of all the regulations and and labor issues and the water, like all the stuff we talked about earlier, I think they're going to start realizing the potential. And we're, I already have, you know, I I already have people from my community that are starting to invest in this technology because they see where it's going and they see like, it may not be worth anything right now, or maybe worth very, very little in terms of what it can give me right now. But in a few years, this is going to pay off so heavily and we're going to need it so badly that it's not worth to, it's not worth just waiting for it to catch up. Um, so I, I think that it's going to come a lot faster than we think it will. And that's an interesting point right there too, because there's a whole adoption, uh, like adoption period that you kind of get used to because you're just not going to swap it out for tractors immediately. So it's kind of cool to see some people in your community already, already adopting this technology and starting to use it. But yeah, really exciting stuff. Two or three years, it'd be pretty cool to see that happen. Um, I mean, it's funny how technology has gone over the last uh, two decades. Like beginning of the decade, you had like flip phones. You had uh, 
uh, pagers, all this stuff, and now like you have a full computer at the power of your like within an iPhone or, I mean, like tractors that are solar powered and uh, uh, run off of electricity as opposed to using gasoline. You know, it's it's kind of interesting or diesel actually diesel I think, um, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see like how. Sometimes, oh, sometimes both. Both. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. B- big tractors or <laughs> it, diesel, small tractors can do either or. Just depends. yeah, oh, okay, it depends. Yeah, shows you how much I know. <laughs> yeah. but it's pretty cool to see the 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 just the ramp up period, the the speed up of technology over the last couple of years. I'm really excited to see for what mm-hmm. uh, like what can happen. And I, I like I, I think we bring up an interesting point in the sense that um, people from other fields are starting to get like, enter into farming, which is pretty cool, and. Uh, I love, I love that too. I think that's going to be huge. I would love to see the cooperation between the two, or not two, but the, the the multiple disciplines that will come into play here. New ideas so often come from people who are from the outside, um, and, and not not all new ideas are good ideas, but sometimes <laughs> it are. Sometimes they are, and so you get you get somebody who thinks about a problem from a different way, and 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 it solves a problem that farmers maybe have been trying to deal with for ten years. Like wait. What do you do? What? Why are you doing it that way? It's like, well, I needed to fix it because X, Y, and Z. I needed to, you know, whatever. I needed the water, the, and I couldn't do it this day because of this. So I figured I'd just hook up this hose attachment and do this, this, and this, and make it go away. Yeah, no, exactly. I've been trying, to, I've been trying to solve this problem for ten years, <laughs> and you just threw two hoses together, and I don't know. Yep. <laughs> it just seemed, it seemed like it makes sense, and it did, so it worked. Yeah, which I mean, my my podcast is a testament to that, right? Like we for the past ten maybe 20 years we've been trying to solve the issue of how do we as an industry communicate with the general public and, and and you know have a stronger relationship with our consumers and not saying i've cracked the code but i've made it a lot further than a lot of other people trying to do what i'm doing and you know reaching out to people outside the industry like patrick here has benefited a lot towards that goal i've learned so much about how those relationships need to be approached and how those conversations need to be had um you know and and we're seeing that on the larger scale industry as well there was a lot of pushback at first to bring in people who don't come from ag backgrounds. And we're starting to see that not only do we benefit from that, but we almost won't survive if we don't do that. You know, we have to look at other backgrounds and other mindsets and other, other approaches to these issues, um, which is, you know, like Patrick was saying, super exciting uh, for, you know, from my perspective of this, because my whole goal is to, is to bridge that gap, right? I want to bring people from agriculture and people from outside of agriculture together, because not so long ago, that was the norm. You know, everyone knew a farmer, everyone had, had, you know, a neighbor that was having chickens in their backyard or whatever. And I'm not sure if we're ever going to return to that state, but to have the, the mutual appreciation of, you know, the producer appreciates their consumer and the consumer appreciates their producer. That is ultimately what I, what I'm working towards. So to see people work across industries to help each other towards that goal, that gets me super excited, even if it is just for, for money. Yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be pretty awesome. And I think that's at the end of the day, that's what you were hoping. That's what you, you, you would want to see over, like over a span of time. So it'd be great to see that eventually. Well, I mean, Brendan, thank you. Like, it's been great talking to you hearing all the, the wealth of knowledge that you have and, just the mission that you have with respect to just educating people about agriculture and using your podcast as a platform to do so. Um, why don't you give everyone, I mean, I know you did so at the beginning of the episode, but give uh, your podcast and your platform a shout out. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you again, both of you for having me back on here. Uh, as, as Patrick knows, I very much enjoy talking about a variety of topics and I get off topic very easily. So it, I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to hear me out on my, my crazy rants. Um, but 
for anyone looking to learn more about agriculture or to have conversations like we just had about different aspects of agriculture, uh, you can find me at Talk Ag to Me on all social media platforms and anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm on all, well, not all, but I'm on most podcasts and platforms uh, and on YouTube. And uh, I, I'm getting a little bit more uh, active with my podcast. Once again, I had to take a little bit of a break, um, but I am I am back in it and I am bringing out some cool stuff. If you would like to hear more about the ag tech side of things, I am getting ready to post all of my uh, footage and coverage from that ag tech conference that I mentioned. So I will have a whole bunch of stuff that as anyone who's listened to this show might be interested in is, is very technologically based. I have a whole lot of that coming out right now. So it's very uh, thematic and perfectly timed. But anyways, that is, um, once again, talk ag to me. You can find me pretty much anywhere if you have any questions or if you want to come on the show and, and talk about agriculture yourself, I, I would be happy to have you on there. So I'd just like to thank you both again for, for having me. I, I really, really appreciate it. And of course, links will be in the show notes uh, at all the appropriate places. So, you know, listen to the show, follow him on Twitter, you know, do all the Yeah, look out for that. And I will ret- we'll, uh, retweet that, uh, your, like your notification when you post that, uh, or interview videos or whatever it is going to be. Is it going to be on YouTube it. or it's going to be a podcast <laughs> or what's it going to look like? Do you have an idea yet? So, yeah. So um, I'm going to I, – I took a ton of videos. So I'm going to post kind of like um, the highlights from all the videos uh, on my YouTube. But I'm also going to do a full podcast episode where I just kind of – if I could bring on a guest, that would be great. But I, I would need somebody who is at the conference and I don't really – I have one friend that's at the conference. I don't think she's going to be available on short notice. So – um, I will probably just do a solo episode kind of describing what the conference was about, what I covered, and then like have clips of the different interviews and everything, uh, spread throughout. So that's kind of the general idea that I'm getting, but I will post the full videos of all the interviews, all the panels, all the coverage and everything, uh, on my YouTube. So that'll be available for anyone who wants to catch that. Awesome. But yeah, it'll be awesome. <laughs> it, it'll be great. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, we can't wait for that. It'd be great to see it. Like Patrick said, look out for that. Definitely follow him. Talk, act to me. And uh, definitely look out for everything that Brent is working on. Um, beyond that, like you can find Patrick at GameGuy2006 on Twitter. Uh, definitely look out for him on uh, on that platform. Twitch as well. Are you back gaming or are you still on pause right now? I, I, I keep saying I need to. I keep saying I need to, but then I, I have to. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I, I got to finish Spider-Man. I'm going to finish okay. it. Okay. Well, I mean, you, yeah, you, you got Spider-Man. Man. Plus, you're watching, uh, what's it called? Uh an exception. No man's uh, guy. You were, you were watching things in your new Samsung frame, so give him some time. I am. <laughs> and, Andor is amazing. Last, if you're not watching that, oh, I, I need to catch yeah, up. Same here, dude. Episode. Have you? How far along? I actually have not watched it yet. I am super behind on my shows. Yeah, so. I'm on the first episode. I actually just got uh, Disney Plus this week, so. Yeah, wow, very yeah, nice. Yeah, so very I nice. caught up on Moon Knight, uh, caught up on She-Hulk, okay. and then, uh, yeah, uh, finally saw Doctor Strange. So a lot of stuff that I need to catch up on. Oh, there you go. That, yeah, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Oh yeah, here, um, I, I'm gonna have to. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah. we'll come back to yeah, that. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but uh, what's it called? Um, well, we got off a tangent, of course. Squirrel. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely find uh find Patrick on Game Guy at uh, Game Guy Six uh, two thousand and six on uh, Twitter. Uh, I can I can speak. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Just, yeah. Uh, uh, and then uh, eventually he'll be back on Twitch as well. You can find myself A E E K A Y on Twitter. Uh, and then you can find us at U B I Q Methods on Twitter. Look out for us. 
You'll see this episode posted there. Uh, look out for notifications and feel free to hashtag ubiquitous questions uh, if you have any questions for us at all. But uh, yeah, anything else anyone wants to say before we head out? Thank you, Brandon, for coming. Thank on. you. It was a blast. It's a blast. Yeah, always a pleasure. Yep. Well, with that, bye. See y'all later. If you ate today, take a farmer. Hey. What? <laughs> <laughs> you took my outro. Thank you.